And now as we come to the story, uh, just happy to report we've got another batch of these in. My goodness, it just we've sold thousands of these now and just can't keep up with the demand hardly. They are available in the lobby or at the resource center afterwards for $6 or whatever you can afford. We, six bucks is what it costs us, but we don't want anybody not to have one of these because of finances. But another thing we've noticed that's been great, again with our oikos, trying to reach our sphere of influence for Christ, is that we've heard fabulous stories about people who have taken this and have given it to somebody in their oikos, and it has just activated them into the Bible, and just wonderful things have happened. And so I encourage you to take, there's no limits on it anymore. We had to have limits on how many you could take because we were just getting wiped out, and probably I'll get a note by the 1111 service, put the limits back on once again, you know. But at this point, no limits. Take as many as you want and give these to people. And it's amazing how God, we've just heard some great, great stories. And you know, another little advantage of us, you know, we've just cleaned out Southern California and beyond and, and, a, and a little bit of an advantage for what it's been like to not have a Bible that you wanted is it gives you a t- us a tiny, tiny taste of what it is for people in the world that don't have God's word in their own language or don't have ready access to God's word. You multiply that by a thousand, that's how they must feel. And so we had heard that we had this another whole batch of, of, to be able to meet the need for today. And we had heard that because this Indiana warehouse where they were was closed for a week because of the cold temperatures in the Midwest. We were told earlier this week that they wouldn't get here until Monday, until tomorrow. And we said, oh my goodness, we're going to have like Bible riots on Sunday and people are going to be turning over cars and setting them on fire and throwing chairs through windows. And, you know, we're not going to be able to control the riots that we have. And so on Friday afternoon, I'm walking over from my office over here to the media center to go over the PowerPoint and the videos that I'm going to use in the message today with Peter Wilson. And as I'm walking over, Sergio Rodriguez, one of our wonderful custodians, he comes up, he goes, Pastor Glenn, Pastor Glenn, the Bibles have arrived, the Bibles have arrived. And, and it reminded me of a YouTube clip that's so inspiring of this Kimyal tribe in Indonesia receiving God's word, the Bible, in their language for the first time. This is God's word. Let's not take it for granted that the God of the universe wrote this letter down for us. This is his story, and it's amazing how it's just one story. You say, Glenn, why is that amazing? Well, you look into your study outline. It was written over a 1,500-year span, over 40 generations. Number three, it was written by over 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars. Uh, They were from all different worldviews. It would be like Fox News and Al Jazeera contributing to the same news story. 40 different worldviews, and yet it was one story. Number four, it was written in different places, uh, written at different times, written during different moods. Number seven, written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Number eight, written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And here's the summary. The Bible is written over a 1,500-year time span by 40 different generations coming from radically different backgrounds and cultures. It was written from different places at different times in different languages by writers on different continents. Yet it contains an unmistakable thread of continuity throughout its pages. How can that be? It's supernatural. It's miraculous. How can it happen? Because it has one author, and that author is God himself. Next page of your study outline. 
Uh, just to review last time, uh, last week we saw that God's vision as our creator was to have relationship and fellowship with us in the Garden of Eden for eternity. But Adam and Eve, as led by Satan, had a different vision, messed it all up. And the rest of the Bible is the story of God's pursuit to get us back once again. Now, here's what happens this week. God builds a new nation to reveal himself and his plan to get us back. And so, first of all, we're going to look at the people that God chose to do that, to build this new nation, and then we're going to look at his plan to do that. Now, the place where the people are is Ur. We'll put a map up there. Ur is in what is today the nation of Iraq, uh, uh, near Baghdad, Iraq, uh, Ur of the Chaldees right there. And then his father, Abraham's father, actually was going to go to Canaan, but it said he goes up to Haran, which you see there on the top, which is on what is today the border between Turkey and Syria. And then eventually Abraham is going to, by faith, leave all that behind and go down to what we call Israel or the promised land or the land of Canaan. And so I said at the earlier service that, uh, you know, last week we started the whole story in Eden, the Garden of Eden. And then last week, Pastor Lisa Tony and Dr. Carl Tony, her husband, had a baby girl. Let's put her picture up there. And her name is Eden, Eden, which is Hebrew for delight, Sophia, which is Greek for wisdom, uh, delight, wisdom, Tony. But then I asked the question, you know, begs the question that if, that ba- if the baby girl had been born this week, would they have named her Ur? Would that be the name? Uh, Ur Sophia Tony. And, and at this point, right now, at the last service, all of a sudden there was laughter. And, and it really is disconcerting when people are laughing and you have no reason why. You, you don't know what's up. And I'm like, what? Did Pete put something up there behind me or whatever? And what it was is Carl Tony, Dr. Carl, he was at the 830 service. Lisa is still home with Eden. But he was at the 830 service. So I said, you know, would they have named her Ur? And he yells out from the back, no, we wouldn't. And everybody around him heard it, but I didn't know what was going on. So at any rate, they would not have done that. Now, the people that God chose to begin this new nation, Uh, Last week, we saw that God did something different. He chose the most likely candidate, the most righteous person, the most godly person, Noah, to do a restart of his creation after the flood. Uh, But we said that his typical pattern was to pick unlikely people, which is good news for us because it means that God uses ordinary people like you and like me to fulfill his plan and to fulfill his purpose. Now he's back to that regular pattern in the story today. God chose Abraham and Sarah who were very old and whose parents and grandparents worship pagan gods. Now, if it were left up to us, we would have gone for a young newlywed couple, right? I mean, we would have gone for a young couple at the beginning of their childbearing years. But God chooses a couple where the guy, Abraham, is 75 and the wife, Sarah, is 65. Now, they're going to be way past their prime parenting years. Who wants to raise teenagers when you're 80 and 90? I don't. I barely have enough energy to watch our granddaughter for a few hours, you know, at, at my age, 57. Who, who, who's got the strength? But way more important than that is that they were past the typical childbearing years. Uh, that's, the, that's the bigger problem there. And even beyond that is that Sarah had been infertile. She had never been able to have children, even during what were the more typical childbearing years. And, and this is a pattern that you'll see as God launches this new nation. We would have launched it with young people that could have, you know, a dozen children and kind of get the whole thing multiplying right out the bat, give it a running start. 
But you don't see that. You, you see that Sarah had struggles in this area, and her daughter-in-law, Rebecca, had struggles in this area, and Rebecca's daughter-in-law, Rachel, had struggles in, in this area. And let me just encourage you, I know for, for women that are struggling, and, and men as well, in this particular area, it is, it is a heartbreaking thing. But let me lovingly encourage you as your pastor that you are among some of the great godly uh, women and men of the scriptures. This seems to be just an area where God tests people, and I don't understand why, but you, you are in, in the company of godly, righteous people like Sarah and Hannah and Rebecca and Rachel and, and others, and know that even though your heart is breaking, you are with uh, women and men of the Bible whose heart was breaking on this as well. And there's a theme that we're going to have throughout the story called the upper story from God's master plan, his purpose and his perspective, and the lower story where we live. And by faith, we've got to trust God in the upper story with the bigger plan that he has, even though we don't always understand it in the lower story. Uh, Abraham obeyed the command of God by faith, even when it didn't make sense. How many of you have ever had God tell you to do something and it didn't make sense? How many of you ever had something happen in your life that just didn't make sense? Well, here, he obeys him even when it didn't make sense. You may want to write down this quote. And, and uh, I didn't put it in the study outline, didn't put it on the PowerPoint, but you may just want to write this down. God's will is lived forward and understood backward. God's will is lived forward by faith but we understand it looking backwards, either at the end of our life or later in our lives or ultimately in heaven looking back over our life. It's lived forward by faith, but it's understood backward. Uh, chapter 12, verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Uh, I heard a story, parents have been using this as their uh, quiet time, their family devotions with their children. And they've been having the children read part of it, and they read part of it. And so some families have been using this for family devotions in our church, uh, reading through the story together. And in this one family, the daughter, the little girl, was reading this portion. Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. But instead of that, she read, at that time, the Canadians were in the land. And so I always knew those doggone Canadians, you know, filling the land and going to kick them out of the land of Canada in order to get, no, we love our Canadians. They have many of them within our church. But it's not the Canadians. It's from the land of the promised land of, of the Canaanites. Now, another way that God was stretching him into a new country is that not only did he have to go somewhere that he didn't understand where he was going geographically, but also theologically. He was called on to worship just one God. Now, back then, this was radically countercultural. Everybody back then worshiped multiple gods. You kind of had specialist gods that would specialize in certain areas. So you'd have a god for your crops to do well, and a god for infertility, a god for protection. You'd have a unique god for every particular situation in life, and nobody would risk depending on everything from just one god. But he's called on to go into new territory theologically as well as geographically. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Maybe right now you're going through an experience, and you are obeying and you're going, 
even though you don't know the territory, you're entering into new territory. God's called you to something, and it's brand new territory. And so he obeyed and went because he got orders from the upper story where God had his master plan, even though in his lower story, he did not understand where he was going. Now, the reason God chose Abraham and Sarah, God chose an old and unlikely couple so that all people would look to God knowing that all that happens is done by God and by God alone. He gets all the credit in this story. They don't get any of it. This is a supernatural thing that God does. Now, this is a little bit random, but I thought this was interesting. The the dates that we're looking at right now around 2000 B.C., are very similar to the dates in which we're living right now, 2014. So 2000 B.C., and we're now in 2000 A.D. Uh, So, for example, the part of the story right now happened in 2091. And then in 2006, the first grandchildren of Abraham and Sarah are born. And then uh, Abraham dies in 1991 B.C. So I just thought it was interesting that we're living about the same time period, A.D., that these events are happening in Abraham's life and Sarah's life, B.C. Now, we've looked at the people that God chose. Look at the plan that he reveals, the fourfold plan God reveals for the new nation. Here it comes in verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household in the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here's the four parts of the plan. God will make the new nation great. Number two, God will make Abraham's name great. Number three, God will bless all who bless Abraham and curse all who curse Abraham. You know, a fascinating historical study is to look at the history of nations in the last 4,000 years since that promise was given, 2000 B.C. to 2000 A.D. And it is absolutely remarkable to see how nations rise and fall based on how they treat the Jewish people or the nation of Israel. Even in our own time, in our own lifetime, Nazi Germany uh, destroyed because of how they've treated the Jewish people. The British Empire rose as they were a blessing to Israel and to the people in Palestine there and the Jewish people, and then declined as they turned their back on them. And the same thing I fear is happening in our lifetime with the United States. Our ascendancy, as we blessed and protected Israel, what will our future be if we turn our back on, on God's people, on the Jewish people, on the, on the nation of Israel? He said, I will bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham. God will bless all the nations of the world through Abraham and this new nation. And God is gonna use the new nation to reveal his heart and his plan to win us back once again. Now his plan would go through the Jewish people and through the nation of Israel. Then thirdly, the turbulent beginnings of the new nation. Sarah proposes her own way to start the new nation. In Genesis chapter 16, and in the story this past week, if you read that chapter 2 in the story, you read that whole sordid story as to how she gives her handmaid uh, Hagar to Abraham to have relations with, to have a child, Ishmael. And God blessed Ishmael, but, but that was not his plan. She took things into her own hands. Now, back in this day, they had a variety of options 
for not being able to have children. It's a heartbreaking thing in our day, but it was an economically devastating thing back then because you needed somebody to pass on your inheritance to, you needed somebody to pass on uh, your, your wealth to, and it was devastating not to have that. So they had a variety of things, that they would have divorce. Sometimes the husband would be allowed to uh, divorce the, the wife because she wasn't able to have children. They would take concubines, as Sarah does here with Hagar. Uh, sometimes they would do polygamy. Polygamy means multiple spouses, but polygyny, gune, from the Greek gune for women, uh, means multiple wives. And so uh, they would take on other wives in order to accomplish this or adopt an heir. But in this case, 10 years have gone by, and she thinks it's time to take matters into her own hands. I mean, now Abraham's 85. Now she's 75, and time is a-wasting, and they better get after this thing. Maybe God needs our help. Now, that phrase almost always gets you in trouble. Maybe God needs our help. Maybe God needs a shortcut. That, that will almost always, if not always, lead into, lead into trouble. The shortcut, because God needs my help. We say, you know what? God wants to bless me with certain things, but, I, but God hasn't given them to me yet. So I'm going to use this credit card to get those things, and I'm going to help God out with this credit card. Um, you say you want to be married, and yet God hasn't brought the right person along yet. And so I'm going to help God out by finding somebody on my own instead of somebody that God leads me to. Uh, or I want to enjoy sexual relationships right now. I want that blessing right now rather than waiting until I get married. And so I'm going to take a shortcut. And it always leads to heartbreak, always leads to trouble. Now it's five years later, finally, Abraham and Sarah 25 years after the promise was given. Abraham is now 100, she's 90, and they're promised in Genesis 18 their own child. Abram's name means exalted father. It's now expanded Abraham to the father of a multitude or many. Uh, Sarah's name means princess. And Sarah laughs when she hears that they're going to have a child. Uh, when she, he was 99 and, and uh, she um, was 89, uh, God says you're going to have a child in a year. And she just laughs. And so when Isaac is born, they name him, he laughs because they laughed at what God pulled off. It was unbelievable. Now, what's also unbelievable is here, finally, God comes through with the promise. And now he tests Abraham by commanding him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And this would be a heart-rending thing for any parent. But particularly, how could they understand this when Finally, after 25 years, God comes through, and now they're supposed to sacrifice the child of the promise. Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, this is interesting. The writer of Hebrews 2,000 years later, gives us a little bit of insight into what Abraham was thinking, and it was different. He didn't think God was going to stop him, but he reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. He trusted the God of the upper story, even when he didn't understand what he was up to in the lower story. Randy Frazee uh, writes about this. He says, talk about not being able to see beyond our lower story. 
But we must never forget how limited and limiting our viewpoint is. In fact, from a logical, rational, predictable perspective, nothing that God said to Abraham made sense. In the limited vision of our lower story, God's ideas seldom do. Don't eat from this tree. Build a big boat when there's no water for miles. Pack up and leave your homeland. Sell all you have and give to the poor. Love your enemies. What may seem confusing and even contradictory to us is all part of God's seamless upper story aimed at bringing us back to him. We struggle with the same tension today. Our lower story is often filled with doubt, confusion, trials, and temptations. There are times when doing things God's way feels foolish, naive, or out of touch with the rest of the world. In the midst of these challenges, we may also sense that God has become distant and silent. Like Sarah, we tend to become impatient and take over when we think God has forgotten his promises to us. We begin to conclude that maybe God needs us to help him get the plan going. While he allows us to participate through our own free will, he never asks us to take into our own hands matters that belong in his. Yes, we find it hard to blame Abraham and Sarah for improvising. 25 years is a long time to wait for God to do what he said he would do. And believing you will start a family in your 10th decade of life isn't exactly buying into the conventional wisdom of the world. But Abraham and Sarah passed the only test God cares about. The same one he puts in front of us today. They trusted him. And because they did, the story continues. Now, just like last Sunday, we got a hint as to what the end of the story, what God's end game was all about. So we get the same hint here. And it's a geographical hint. You know that hill that you just saw in the clip there? It's called the Hill of Moriah in 2000 BC. But later, that's where the Temple Mount was, on that exact same hill. And from that hill, you can see a short distance away, half a mile to a mile away, you can see another mount called Golgotha or Calvary. And on that hill, God actually did what he simply asked Abraham to do. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's the end game that God gives a hint to here in the second chapter of the story in the later book of Genesis. God's story is to eventually sacrifice that lamb so that we could be reunited with him in fellowship once again. Now I want to go before the Lord in prayer. And if you've never received his free gift of salvation. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Uh, you can look at it later. On the back of your program, you'll see a simple outline of what the Bible, um, his, God's plan was. The first part, and you can read this on your own later on in the verses that are connected with it, but the first thing is to acknowledge that we need a Savior. We need forgiveness. And then the second part is to recognize God's plan that through the line of Abraham, Jesus would come and he would die on the cross of Calvary, Golgotha, 
God would take his son. But then, just like Abraham thought was going to happen with Isaac, he was going to raise his son up from the dead three days later. And now comes our part. We need to open our heart and receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And so I I invite you to pray um, uh, silently as I simply pray this prayer out loud. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the fulfillment of God's plan. And God the Father, I now receive your free gift of forgiveness and mercy and grace and salvation. I open my heart and receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I do it right here, right now, at 5 minutes to 11 on January 12, 2014. 2014. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, we've got a gift we'd love to give to you. It's a packet uh, entitled, Unwrap Your Gift. And it's all kinds of helps that will help you in, in your walk with God. And so if you prayed that prayer this morning, no obligation whatsoever. It's a free gift from our church to you. As you leave at one of the guest centers, either on the south end of the lobby or the north end, just pick up one of these, and it'll help you as you begin to grow in your walk and your relationship with God. Uh, let's stand for our closing uh, benediction. And as we stand, just a reminder that our prayer room is open today and the deacons will be there. And if you want prayer for a physical need, according to James 5, they're there. Or an emotional or spiritual or family need, they love to pray with people. And so that room, the prayer room, is right there. And we'd just love to have you go and, uh, and, and take advantage of that. Also, out in the lobby are copies of the story. Please keep your rioting to a minimum, okay? Uh, No Bible riots out there, please. Uh, Let's close with Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.